0: C D nature kicking in. <laughs> Amen. Well, good morning. Okay, well, it's still a good morning. Glad you came. I I'm glad there's no snow on the ground for the most part, right? Except in piles with clumps of sod attached to it. <laughs> Amen. Book of first Timothy, moving right through. I've uh, had uh, the unique privilege, I guess you could call it that, of hearing uh, a number of church choirs, a number of church choirs. And you know what, in comparison to what we got here, I know I'm a little biased, but <laughs> that's all I got this morning. <laughs> Amen. I've I've sat and listened to some of them, They're like Bob Jonesy choirs, like, ooh. All the round mouths and all that stuff, and and I'm telling you what and I listen to the harmony y'all got. that's a blessing. it really is. Brother Cole hit it right on the head. Amen, First Timothy, we've been uh, plodding right along here, and we're going to pick it back up in first Timothy uh, chapter one and verse four. Let's pray before we get into the Bible. Father, we sure love you, thank you for Jesus Christ. Father we thank you for a warm church. Father, we thank you, Lord, that the light bills uh, have been paid and the heat's been paid, and uh, Father, we're able to come in this morning and uh, be in a warm building and flush the toilets. And Father, thank you, Lord, for your safety in getting us here, and uh, that we know we didn't hit any deer and no one gotten in a wreck. And Father, so we thank you, Lord, for safety. Thank you most of all for the King James Bible. Father, we pray now that you'd open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of Thy law. I pray that you give your people guidance and light this morning. Use me as your messenger, or just a rag in your back pocket. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and uh, verse 4. We'll get right back into it here. Paul tells Timothy, he says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. So we uh, gave you quite a bit uh, of information about godly edifying and the necessity to edify one another. And I'll say it again, even though most of you are here, one of the biggest things that we need and will help you grow is if some other Christian will come alongside you every once in a while and edify you. And that means uh, to encourage, to exhort, and to build you up. Um, not making stuff up about you, but Let's let's face it, we all need edification, and you know, an edifice is just a big fancy term for a building. Of course, I never did understand why they call it a building when they done built it. They just call it a built. Anyways, unless uh, I digress, <laughs> or why do you park in a driveway and drive in a parkway? Anyways, that's not the Bible, but that's how my mind works. It must be the ADHD mentality popping out there. Squirrel. Anyways, so, but you need edifying. As a child of God, it's discouraging to go through your Christian life without someone edifying you. I know there's a couple tough old birds probably somewhere that would say, I don't need no one to encourage me. And I've ran into some of those individuals before. And then 20 years later, they said, you know what, Brother Germ, I guess I need a little bit of encouragement. You're going to need it. This, uh, there's an old bluegrass song goes, It's Not an Easy Road. Some of you learning that. I mean, it might have been easy when you were in your teen years, but I mean, living under mom and dad's roof, different story. You got all the answers, and then you got to start paying bills, you know. <laughs> then you got to start getting up and going to work. That's a real blessing, ain't it? You ever stop and think about when you didn't have a job and you were frustrated a lot, and now you're frustrated because you got a job. Man's never happy. But uh, Paul tells Timothy, he says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, uh, rather than godly edifying which is in faith. Look at verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned. So Paul defines the faith here in verse 5. Uh, he says, "Faith unfeigned." That's a that's that's just a fifty cent word that means genuine faith. If you're here today and you have faith unfeigned, that means you have the real thing. You've got genuine faith. It's it's unpretended. Uh, there's no pretension in unfeigned faith, and uh, what that is, that's faith from God. And you ever stop and ask what kind of faith you got? And uh, you know who had this unfeigned faith, right? Uh, Timothy's mother and his grandmother. Uh, you see that, uh, was that 2nd? Look at 2nd Timothy, I think it is. I don't have the reference, but we'll find it quick enough here. Uh, yeah, look at 2nd uh, Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Verse 4, 3, 4, whatever. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, verse 5. Uh, <clears throat> Paul tells Timothy, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. You see how that thing's passed along? Mothers, I'm telling you what, you've got an extremely important role to play, not just bearing children, not just guiding the home, but you're passing, you're passing more than manners onto the kids. You're passing faith. And uh, he says, "Which dwelt first in thy grandmother, Lois?" And Lois, she had unfeigned, she had the real thing. And then it went to her daughter, uh, Eunice, and then it went to her son, Timothy. And Paul says, "And I'm persuaded that in thee also." All right. You'll notice back in First 1 Timothy 1:5 1, it says, "Charity out of a pure heart, pure heart. So that heart was purified in this passage by faith. I'll say it again, that heart was purified. In this passage, by faith, here's the thing. If you have a dirty heart this morning, you know how you purify it? You you purify a dirty heart by stepping out by faith. That's what you do. You purify a dirty heart by faith. Morning, brother. By stepping out uh, by faith. You say, what's that? That's simply doing things you can't do that God can do through you. You see that? You want to purify a dirty heart this morning? You step out by faith. That's uh, stepping out by faith and letting God do something through you that you can't do. Look at Acts chapter 15. I'll show you. Acts chapter 15. Now, you purify a dirty heart by stepping out by faith. And one of the hardest things in the Christian life many times to do is step out by faith. Now, we're not talking about jumping off a cliff. You know what I mean? Oh, Lord, catch me. Uh, you know, so, some Christians are so extreme by nature, uh, they'll hear a preacher preach a message how you've got to step by faith, and they'll uh, they'll think that means drive 90 down the freeway with your eyes closed so you can pray. <laughs> no, that's stupid. You're going to die. <laughs> uh, Acts 15, stepping out by faith is doing something that you can't do, but you trust the Lord will help you do it. How about this? You ever commit to the Lord, you're going to read your Bible every day this week. And you know that in your flesh you can't do it. You know what you do? You step out by faith. And you read it on Monday. And you pray. You read it on Tuesday. And Wednesday, by ready to fold your cards in, you're like, Lord, you better help me. Because I'm knowing when to fold them. <laughs> right? And he helps you read it on Wednesday. Why? You step out by faith. And that, you see what I mean? Now look at 15.8. Acts 15.8. The Bible says, in God, which knoweth the heart. So doesn't he know your heart? Sure he does. Bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by what? Faith. I'll give you thought here. You know what the closest thing to your heart is? I don't have it on me. Because the pants they make anymore, man. Ridiculous. You know what the closest thing to your heart is? Your stinking wallet. I mean, right here in your posterior. That's, uh, that's your wallet. You know how to purify uh, your heart? You give. You see that? I want to purify my heart by faith. All right, then get your wallet out and give. You know what the eternal essence of God is? Stay with me. Some of y'all think I'm looking for an offering. I'm not I'm trying to help you this morning. You know what the eternal essence of God is? Is give. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave. The eternal essence of God that transcends time, space, and everything is give. For God so loved the world that he gave. You want to know when we are most like God? You want to be like God? Yeah, then give. Well, preacher, you always talk about money. No, I'm not talking. I don't always talk about money. You're out of your cotton-picking mind if you think that. But how come every time we say the word give, you think money? Could it be your time? Don't some of you have some talent? Maybe a couple of you have some treasure, but probably not. <laughs> but you got time, right? Oh no, my time's all accounted for what? Doing what you want to do? How come you can't give God some time? The internal essence of God is give. I'm just trying to help you understand if you want to purify your heart, you're going to have to purify your heart by faith. And a lot of times in the Christian life, that's just stepping out by faith, going, Okay, I'm stepping out by faith. I'm going to do something for the Lord, and I'm going to give. I'm going to give Him my time. I'm going to give Him my talent. I'm going to give Him my treasure, and I'm going to give all these things that I normally do for myself because I enjoy it, and God has given me the ability. He's given me the breath, but I'm going to step out by faith, and by stepping out by faith, it purifies your heart. A lot of Christians these days have a dirty heart that's connected to a dirty conscience even in this verse. And it's because you need to step out by faith and do things that you wouldn't normally be able to do without the help of God. And, uh, but when you exercise faith, that thing works out. And many of you are learning that right now. Now, something else in verse 5, 1 Timothy 1.5, the Bible says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience. You see that? Paul's really big on conscience in the New Testament. Over 20 times he mentions that thing. If you just take that word conscience and run it through uh, like a, a search app or a concordance or like that, I'm telling you what, you can learn a multitude about the conscience. And uh, now a good conscience in the Bible, there has, to have, there has to be some things done. If you want a good conscience, you're going to have to do some things and a good conscience is this, knowing that there are things that God wants me to do. Not being worried about what you think God wants others to do, but having a good conscience entails knowing that there are things that God wants you personally to do. Uh, so that's to be, uh, that's to be uh, opposite of a seared conscience, which the Bible gives you an account of, or a defiled conscience, but a conscience that is tendered toward the Spirit of God. Now, once you you get saved, go back to the day you got saved in your mind with me just for a second. The the very, very moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, from that very inchoate stage, do you know how you keep a good conscience towards God, first of all? Anybody know? From the moment you get saved, do you know how you keep a good conscience toward God? Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, I'll show you. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're talking about the conscience for a minute here, and from the moment you get saved, when you get newly saved, how a new Christian has a good conscience towards God, that has to do with believer's baptism. Believers not sprinkling, amen, not spitting on them and rubbing it on their forehead, you know, not not just like I saw some of these, um, I think Orthodox, they Bash your head in the water like seven times. Not, not that foolishness there, but immersion. And you can find immersion in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, because that's the way Jesus Christ was baptized. Uh, but look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. For a new convert, when he gets saved, you know how he keeps a good conscience toward God? The Bible says, verse 21, The like figure. Whereunto even baptism. All right, now stop. The Bible just told you that the believer's baptism here is a what? It's a figure. In other words, it's a picture of the real thing that happened to you, but it's not the real thing. That's how you know baptism can't save you. Peter said it's a like figure. It's just a figure. It's just a picture. just a type. He says, "...a like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh." But the answer of a good conscience toward God. So that's what we're talking about. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're a new Christian, one of the first things you ought to do to maintain a good conscience toward God is what? Get baptized. Not going to get you to heaven because your salvation gets you there. But we're talking about having a good conscience. You know why a lot of Christians don't have they got a rotten conscience? One of the reasons? they get baptized. It's right there in your King James Bible. Baptism is important. Why? It affects your conscience. And uh, now if you don't receive believer's baptism after you get saved, you'll sure enough go to heaven. But you uh, you won't be much anything a Christian. I'll tell you that right now. You won't be much of a Christian at all, and you won't last long in the local church that preaches the Bible. You'll sit for a while. Well, you've seen them. I've seen them. They sit for a while, and they never do anything or they never come back, and they never get grounded. You try to chase after them. You try to corral them back to Christ and try to say hi every once in a while, send them a text, and guess what? The thing, just just whatever. And then they never get baptized, and their conscience is shot toward them. they got a bad conscience, and they never last. They didn't say they weren't saved. just means they don't last in church. Amen? Don't you have family members in your family that aren't close to the family? You all awake this morning. I got work on my delivery a little bit. Maybe start juggling when I preach or teach or something. You got family, you got family members in the in your family that are just not close to y'all just like Christians. They don't get baptized, they got a bad conscience, something happened and they're just real distant from you. That's what you do. That's what you're dealing with. You'll notice also in the Bible you'll find a conscience. Uh, not just a good conscience, like we see here, but look at Titus chapter one verse fifteen i 'll show you a defiled conscience Titus 1, 15, a defiled conscience Titus chapter one, verse fifteen now, like i said, there's over twenty references that Paul refers to conscience, and he 's big on conscience, and a lot of christians they have a uh, they have a defiled conscience. And the reason they have a defiled conscience is because it got weak and it got wounded. And eventually, if you don't take care of that thing with the Bible, it will end up searing it, searing it. 1 Timothy 1.15. Bible said, uh, no, nope, that's not what I want there. Titus. I do want one fifteen. i I've got to get the right book here. All right. Paul says, uh, verse 15. He says, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, even their mind and their conscience is defiled. Now, that's absolute truth you stop and think about when you hear things said. You get in your backyard for a second. If you got a dirty conscience, you got a dirty mind, you take everything filthy. But look what he says, unto the pure all things are pure, so... The world could have a connotation one way, but if you're right with the Lord and fellowship with the Lord and your conscience is right and your conscience is pure, someone can say something and you just look them straight in the eyes, don't you? But if your conscience is defiled and you've been listening to trash and laughing at trash and absorbing trash and they say something, you're like, I heard what you said, you know. Everything's in, you see what I mean? Read it again. Under the pure, all things are pure. That means I should be able to say just about anything within moderation from the pulpit, and y'all are not going to take it the wrong way. But you and I live in such a wicked, ungodly, trash-filled world. If I say the wrong phrase, half of you will chuckle. Why? Deviled conscience. Now, that's the day and age we live in. And I know that I'm preaching myself when I preach, too. He says, but uh, he says... Uh, under the pure all things are pure under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure but even their mind and conscience is defiled so it comes from a defiled mind a a dirty conscience there and then I'll show you go back to 1 Timothy 4 1 Timothy 4 1 and 2 you've got a seared conscience a seared conscience 4 1 and 2 Uh, Paul says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, which we're living in, right, some shall depart from the faith. You ever stop and think about, uh, a little bit unrelated here, you ever, I used to think as a kid and I used to hear about these great jobs that like GM had and all that. And all the money they used to make per hour used to, because it's all different now, you know. Uh, still probably pretty decent. And I used to hear about all the the benefits that they would have and then the retirement that they had and this, that, and the other. And and as a teenager, I would sit there and try to fathom, how in the world can this world continue to uh, substantiate a company? I'm just using GM because it was something in our backyard, per se, and continue to do better and better. And then these guys retiring at 50-some years old, and they're sitting here, they're living for 30 and 40 years with full benefits and full pensions. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense mathematically. You say, what are you saying? We're not getting better. We're getting worse, and that thing eventually came to an end on many fronts. And the whole thing had to crack, crash, and burn before they started all over again. I didn't say that GM didn't pay a decent wage compared to McDonald's or something, right? (laughs) You know? But you ever just stop and think that Paul says in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. If the, if the world is truly right and the government's right and science's uh, earthly science is right, then we're getting better. But if we're getting better, why are people departing from the faith? Because we're not getting better. <laughs> he says some shall depart from the faith. He says uh, uh, giving heed to seducing spirits. And doctrines of devils, notice the two things they give heed to. They give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So in the last days, what happens? You get a bunch of Christians who are saved and blood-bought by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And what happens? Well, within the body of Christ, uh, that group of individuals, they start giving heed to seducing spirits because it's what they like to hear. And then they start giving heed to some doctrine of devils. You see then what happens then? Well, they start becoming a bunch of lying hypocrites. That's what verse 2 says. And in essence, what happens next, the reason that happened is because their conscience is shot, seared. You see, if you don't know this book, and you're not trying to study this book, and you're not trying to learn it in sound doctrine, somebody will come up to you and whisper something in your ear about something, and you'll just believe it. Why? Because you've got a dirty conscience. And your conscience is shot. Your conscience is defiled. And because you like the way somebody says something, you'll run with it. And people depart from the faith in the last days because of that. there's a seer conscience. But listen, when you do something for God and you do it for Him alone, there is something that bears witness to your conscience. Look back at Romans chapter 9. I want you to show the other side of that thing. Romans chapter 9. There is some, when you do something for God out of a pure conscience, out of a good conscience, out of a right conscience, and you do it for him alone and nobody else. You don't do it to be noticed. You don't do it because you feel you're expected to. You ever serve the Lord because you feel you're expected to? Have you ever done that? You don't have to say, but sure you have. Anyone in here who's got a brain in their head knows they've done They And I'm not saying, look, the local church often puts a pressure on you to do right. That's a good pressure. Why? Because there's sure enough a lot of bad pressure out there. There should be a pressure on you to come to church. If there's not, there's something wrong with your heart. There's something wrong with your conscience. Your parents put something into you, and then you're, you build something uh, with your spouse, and they put it into each other. Like, you wake up, you're like, I really don't I remember many years on the ice cream route, I wake up, and I, f- I would feel like a stinking zombie. Like, I literally just got run over by a steamroller, and I'm like, I'm not going to go to church. And, man, she would lay it on me. I never had to do that to her. Okay, whatever. I got a good wife. Yours is, well, second class, I guess. But, but man, she would lay it on me. So what'd you do? Well, most of the time, unless I was physically unable, I'd get my tail out of bed and go to church. Why? Well, not only did I have an upbringing that said you need to go to church, but then I married a gal who says it's pretty important to go to church. And you ought to have something in you that says, man, a young how to go. But uh if you do something for him alone, there's something that bears witness to your conscience. And uh you ever done something for the Lord for the right reason? Someone shake your head, yeah. Felt pretty good, didn't it? Felt pretty good. Like okay. yeah, amen. I felt good. Well look at Romans chapter 9, verse 1. 9, 1. Look what Paul says here. He says, I say the truth in Christ. I line out my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Uh, but that conscience is more than just your mind that is thinking. What happened is the Holy Ghost is bearing me witness. That's why it feels good. That's why it's the right, it's the right thing to do. So then you come up with this thing. Uh, here's the practical wisdom. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. If you've got to ask a question about it, you probably ought not to be doing it. If you got to go, should I go here? Should I do this? If it's doubtful, it's dirty. Listen, Christian, if you adapt that thing, that thought process this morning, and you put that in your mind, that everything you doubt, and you give that thing to the Lord, like, you know what, I'm just, I might be wrong as the day is long, but I'm not going to because I have a question about it. You know what that is? That's safeguarding your conscience. And the Holy Ghost would rather you safeguard your conscience than burn it up. And uh, if it's doubtful, it's dirty. And that's how you got to look at it. If you question it, then you did wrong. Well, I believe I have liberty. And I believe Santa Claus comes down the chimney. Get over your liberty and just give it to the Lord. Amen. Now listen, the closer we get to going home and leaving out of here, you got to make sure your conscience is right. Why? Because this world is just on a roller coaster slap straight to hell. We'll preach a little bit about it this morning, but man, it's so easy to get out here and rub just a little bit of shoulders with this world and you're laughing at what they're laughing at and you're humming along with what they're singing. And your conscience is rough. The preacher comes in and tries to preach at you, you're like, well, you're in outer space, man. <clears throat> if it's doubtful or questionable, don't do it. Now I'll give you this. You know how the flesh fooled Job, don't you? What happened to Job when the devil uh, was turned loose on his flesh? He got boils from head to toe, didn't he? You know what those boils are in the Old Testament? They're leprosy. You know what leprosy is a type of in the Bible? It's a type of sin, isn't it? You know what the devil put uh, on Job the very first thing? The Lord allowed the devil to turn him loose on his flesh. It's called false conviction. That false conviction is this. Job is thinking that he sinned. You ever get to going in your Christian life, and next thing you know, something's not going right for you, and you get to thinking you did wrong, but somewhere deep down inside, the Holy Ghost is going You did right. That's the devil putting false conviction on you. And what happens if you're not careful, you'll succumb to that thing, and you get a dirty conscience over it. But the devil put false conviction on Job, and he ain't afraid to put false conviction on you. That thing goes sideways, and all of a sudden what happens? We say it like this. My right and wrong gets crossed. And you're going through a real tough time, and you're like, well, surely, you know, you reap what you sow. That's what you think, ain't it? How about the devil just maybe turn, maybe a little bit loose on you for a second. You're under a bunch of false conviction thinking you did wrong. And the Holy Ghost is like, just hold the fort, brother. I'm coming, man. <laughs> you didn't do wrong. That's the devil turned loose on Job. Boils head to toe. Leprosy, a type of sin in the Bible. Nothing but false conviction. But the Holy Ghost is down there deep inside there. Sometimes you got him shut out. But he's saying you did right. You uh, You did what I told you to. You preached what I told you to. You gave the track when I told you. You witnessed when I told you to. You loved people the way you should, and you still got bit. And then all of a sudden, here comes the false conviction. Because it didn't go go right, you're like, man, I must have did something wrong. No, 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 that's that's the boils. That's the leprosy. You just scrape them off and go, man. <laughs> but uh, the Holy Ghost of God will remind you if you... Get quiet enough with him, and that's why you're supposed to listen by the word of God and that's how that thing works. Look at first back to first Timothy chapter one, verse six. I'll show you. you'll notice that a person uh, what happens to a person who doesn't have charity out of a pure heart, verse 6. six, first Timothy one six, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling all right? So you notice that a person that doesn't have charity out of a pure heart, that doesn't have a good conscience. Uh, or is regulated by the Holy Spirit. He's not going to stay around this book very long. You see why? He swerves. He's off the road. He's in the ditch. He's chasing something else down. He doesn't like what he hears. So he's got to veer out of the path of truth. He's got to swerve. What's he going to go after? It's right there in the verse. Verse 6 says, "From from which some having swerved. So listen, if you're... If you're on the right road and you swerved, then you have to at least realize that you were on the right road. You're the one that took the car off into the ditch. Now, I know you thought you were going to hit the deer, but if you swerved to to miss that deer, you won't kill yourself. Never swerve to hit a deer. Just hit that sucker and just do us all a favor and claim on your insurance. Amen? (laughs) Some more than others. I remember was, I, I went through a spell. I was hitting so many deer there. I was literally strategically planning my next deer hit. It was crazy. And I was driving this. <laughs> I was driving that red GMC Jimmy. And I'm running up and down. Was it, 72 that runs up to third? Uh, uh, what is it? Up by Alpena. Anyways, I'm cooking through there. And uh, sure enough, what's that? 32, thank you. And I'm just, and I'm, I I'm always listening to uh, Preacher Lentz, preaching up through there. And I hit a big old eight-point buck one time, listening to him preach. And, man, I was all full of it. Bam! And So I got this GMC Jimmy and sunk everything I had into it, piece of garbage. I never should have bought it. But I'm going back north up on 32, and I'm, I'm looking. I'm like, here's my chance, because I'm just a deer magnet right now. And the old school says if you see a deer, you're supposed to hit the gas, not the brake, because it lifts the car up. And I'm like, I'm gonna hit me a deer. I was so angry, I'm gonna hit me a deer. And when I see it, I'm gonna hit the gas. Sure enough, I did. And I left the front of that, I just punched, him. I thought I was gonna put my foot through the floor, you know. I hit that thing so hard. Sure enough, man. I hit that thing, tore that deer right in half, man. It got tangled up in the drive shaft and boom. say, what does that have to do with Timothy? Nothing, it's a deer story, it's cool, it's northern Michigan. <laughs> you say, what didn't you do? I didn't swerve. <laughs> Stay on the road. I mean, there might be blood and guts in the road, but stay on the road. Amen. One one old timer says, well, you know, I never hit a deer, and I've been driving all these I'm like, what's your trick? He's like, I drive in the middle. I said, I ain't doing that. He says, I take my middle right out of the middle. (laughs) But anyways, uh, vein jangling, it says, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vein jangling. And uh that take that phrase jangling it 's like someone taking chains and just rattling together, <laughs> you know like you know your ghost of Christmas past or whatever that thing is, just a bad sound, vain jangling uh, uh the thing I think of is like charlie brown's teacher It's like <laughs> you know that's vain jangling all that stuff there, and uh, it's just a bad sound and what happens this fellow that doesn 't have a good conscience and he's uh doesn't his heart isn 't purified with faith, you know what he does. He turns aside from the truth. He turns aside from three things here. Look, he turns aside from a pure heart. That's verse 5. He turns aside from a good conscience, verse 5. And he turns away from faith unfeigned. Those three things. He swerves out of the way to miss it. And when you lose your pure heart, you lose your good conscience, and your unfeigned faith, you're going to go after something that won't touch you. You see that? Now, you've got to be careful. You find yourself coming into the church house or you uh, you find yourself wanting to hear preaching that doesn't touch you, that's an indicator. When you come to church, you ought to say, Lord, give me something that will move me instead of always wanting to dodge, you know. Oh, he missed me. (laughs) He didn't give me that time, you know. But when you find yourself going after preaching that won't touch you, man, that's an indicator. You've got to watch out for that. And uh, but someone who's swerving out of the way, they'll go after something that won't say something that won't touch them. They'll go after a preacher who won't say nothing. You see that? And then they'll leave out of here and find some smooth talker that won't study the Bible. You know, and all they'll do is preach about soul winning, soul winning, soul winning, and the fundamentals and the fundamentals. And look, you ought to be a soul winner. But let me tell you what: the more I preach Jesus Christ at your hearts, you'll go be a soul winner. I don't have to have a seminar on uh, 35 reasons why you should win a soul, but I could probably give you 20. But I could preach about you getting close to Jesus Christ, and the closer you get to Jesus Christ, you develop a love relationship with Him that's thicker than any blood. And the next thing you know, you're just so in love with Him, you got to tell people about Him. Just like when you met the love of your life, you weren't ashamed to put, you know, to you know, sign His last name as your last name and tell everyone who your lover was. You see what I mean? No one had to go, well, you need to go fall in love with somebody. <laughs> well, that's what happens. Now, and uh what happens is the heart was polluted. That's Matthew 12, 35. The heart's polluted. And the Bible says, out of the mouth, man speaks. I'm sorry, out of the heart, man speaks. You ever think about that? You get on the job and they're cussing and swearing, you know, and it's just it's just kind of like. Ugh. It just irritates you. Doesn't, it should irritate you, right? I don't care how bad of a mood you're in, but if someone starts cussing and swearing, it, it ought to be like, ugh, uh, Especially when they stop dropping the Lord's name in vain. I'm like, oh, man, I'm fighting words. Why? That's my Savior. I love him. and uh, But the reason they cuss is because that's what's in their heart. You know why you cuss? A dirty heart. A dirty heart. But their heart was polluted. Their conscience was seared with a hot iron. We just went over that in 1 Timothy 4, 1-2. And as a result of that conscience being bad, you know what happens? Your faith gives out. Didn't say you lost your salvation because you can't, but your faith gives out. And uh, why? What did they give out to? Well, they gave out to vain janglings. You ever stop and hear preaching and go, no way, man. It's impossible. It's impossible. What happens if your conscience is shot, instead of repairing your conscience, you just you give out. You're like, I quit. I can't do it. You've said it before. I can't keep going this way. Why? That's the Lord telling you to fix your conscience. How do you fix the conscience? This book right here. This is the eternal IV. You got a bad conscience, get in the book. The time you spend on the tube, replace it with the book. The time you spend listening to the devilment you listen to and looking at the devilment you listen to, replace it with the book. Clean up your conscience. What would the old prophet say, break up your fallow ground? This is the conscience healer. This is the conscience repairer. But they gave out the vain janglings. And you've seen them. You've seen them sit under, underneath the King James Bible. They'll play the games. And they got a dirty heart. They got a bad conscience, no faith. And after a while, you know, they go out of here and they say, well, you're radical. They'll say, well, you're a cult. Uh, you're a cult leader. You know, you're just misleading people. You're hypnotizing the people in Tawa City. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And they go after vain jangling. What happens, those individuals that swerve out, that Paul says, you know what they'll do? They'll get a, go sit under some donkey that won't study. You know, bugs of fire out of people that have just blown their faith out of the water? A preacher that'll study. And they start taking everything personal. You've got to make sure you're not taking it personal. From me. You better take it personal from the Lord. Look, if I hit you with my preaching, I just got lucky. Can I say it like that? I'm a terrible aim, but the Holy Spirit, he don't miss. Isn't it interesting? You ever listen to a preacher that don't even know you and he he just tells you everything that's wrong with you? That's because he's plugged in. He's plugged into the one that knows you better than your mama does. (laughs) Well, the whole time... uh, After uh, after a while, they just get to swerve, and they swerve out of the way, and then they just end up running after a bunch of noise. And the whole time, their hearts are downright filthy. They've seared their conscience. And listen, if you ever get like that, you're in a mess. You're in a mess for sure. Uh, I've often thought, if I ever got in such a terrible shape, that if I could go sit under some preacher that ain't preaching the King James Bible, man, you're a stinking mess. You know, my desires as a preacher not just to feed you and to get you to try to fall in love with the Lord, but it's a, it's a little deeper than that. My desire is if you ever leave here, you will never be happy with anything but truth. You'll not be able to go downtown to the church of what's happening now and get you a Starbucks for eight bucks, right, and sit there while they're cranking in the drum cage. And they're slashing it out with their heavy metal rock and roller, you know, good time, plastic banana, all that stuff. And I just, and if that's you, you'll be miserable. Miserable. That's my desire. You say, how terrible. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But if you could ever sit underneath some liberal preacher after you learn the book the way it's been taught to you, there's something wrong with you. There's a dirty heart, there's a bad conscience, and you ain't got no faith. That's right. Now look, you may be here today, and you might not know what preaching is. You might not know what preaching really is. But you leave out of here, and you sit somewhere else, you're going to sure enough know what it ain't, if that makes any sense to you. And I don't even know all of what preaching is, but I sure enough, I've heard enough to know what it ain't. (laughs) And I know that's not good English, but that be the truth. I've heard a bunch of stuff, just a bunch of jangling, Bunch of men getting up there and, uh, uh well, uh, you know, all that stuff, that donkey stuff, you know, they call them hacking preachers and that. What are they saying? Nothing. And uh if you can sit underneath someone correcting in the Bible, there's something wrong with your heart. Look at verse 7. Here it is. Desiring to be teachers of the law. There we go. I'll tell you from personal experience, I've sat under... Preaching and half the message was uh, the, the only thing you could derive from the message is why you shouldn't be going out and cutting your grass on Sunday afternoon. You say, you sat under there? Yeah, why? It sounded pretty good. Can I remind you that a rebel, you think a rebel doesn't want rules, but that's really not the case. A rebel appreciates rules as long as he can change them or as long as he can add one more to it. And uh listen to all kinds of stuff like that, and uh why well, it felt pretty good at the time. You ever stop and think why you believe the King James Bible can- Can I give you something real quick before we're done here? Now, there's no mistake where the Lord took me uh to learn the King James Bible from cover to cover. And the Lord blessed that, and he's had a stamp of approval on that man's ministry over 40 years. But never, never forget that God uh, knows who you are. He knows how you operate, and so does the devil. So does the devil. You say, what are you getting at? You know why I like some of the stuff I like when I went over to where I went over and was raised up in the ministry? Because I'm a rebel. I'm a rebel. And if you're honest, so are you. I mean, why wouldn't you like the final authority to be something that you can hold in your hands? The next thing the devil wants you to do, okay, fine, you got the final authority. Now it's the final authority as long as you got the right spin on it. That's what he'll tell you. And you'll walk around like you wrote that thing. And you'll set your standards and your convictions and you'll put it above the Bible itself. Why? Because you got the answers, man. You've got to watch that thing. Yes, you and I do have the final authority. But also remember what caused the devil to fail was his rebellion. And what that works hand in hand with truth many times is rebellion. Rebellion. He says, desiring to be teachers of the law. So they're trying to be teachers, but it's wrong. They don't have a pure heart. You see that in verse 5. They're trying to be teachers, and they don't have any charity. They're trying to be teachers, and they don't have a good conscience. Their conscience is shot. And they don't have any faith. Now, charity, they say, is love and action, right? That's what some of the preachers say, is love and action. And if anyone has got charity, I'm going to give you a prop up here before we cut you loose. It's many of you here today. I mean that, too. What you all have is charity. Some of you are stretched so far like a rubber band that when that things break, you just take it and tie it together and go at it again. That's charity. That's the way you're stretched around here. That's the as giving of yourself because you love God and you love others. And charity is meant to teach you. But notice this in the context. We're not teaching you the law. In the church age today, we don't teach you the law. We're teaching you the gospel that Paul is preaching. And uh, you say, what is it? Well, that's the gospel of the grace of God. I'll leave you with this, 1 Corinthians 15. That's the gospel of the grace of God. And back in 1 Timothy 1, 4, 5, and 6, you had people coming in desiring to be teachers of the law when they should be teaching the gospel of the grace of God. Now, you're going to learn, not tonight, many of you know, there's nothing wrong with the law in its proper place, nothing at all, but it won't work for salvation, 15, 3, and 4. Bible says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. most important thing you could tell somebody is, number one, they're a sinner. Number two, they could receive a Savior, and that Savior died for their sins, not their tears. Verse 4, And that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel that Paul preached, not the law, not the law found in Ordinances and touch not and taste not and so forth and so on. All right, we'll pick this up a little bit later.